You're listening to teaching from Castle Hills Christian Church in San Antonio, Texas. More information about Castle Hills Christian Church is available at chccsa.com. Good morning, CHCC. I'm so glad that you joined us today. If you're new here, we like to say that we're one big family. And as a, as a church, we truly want to care about each other. We truly want to minister to each other. And I love being your pastor. And if there's any way that I can help you, feel free to call me, to reach out to me, text message me. Uh, I, I love you, and I just want you to know that I'm here for you. How many of you love countdowns? Maybe it's a countdown to fireworks or a countdown to when a concert starts. Maybe it's a countdown to vacation and you have a trip coming up and you just can't wait and so you're just marking the days until that trip takes place. Or maybe you have a countdown to retirement. You have the day marked, you just can't wait. Or maybe some of you like Christmas and you count down to Christmas and you look forward to that time of year. And countdowns create anticipation. We're starting a new series called Countdown to Calvary, and we're only about nine weeks away from Easter. Can you believe that? And we're going to be looking at Easter from the Gospel of Mark. And Mark portrays Jesus as constantly on the move. He uses the word immediately, or the word immediately is used about 39 times in this short book. And we see that Jesus is constantly moving and making a difference. He knows his time is short. Uh, Mark reveals that Jesus is God's servant. And I think Mark 10.45 really is a key verse. It says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. Today, as we look in Mark 11, verses 1 to 11, it's a passage called the Triumph Entry. And Mark spends the first 10 chapters on the first uh, three years of Jesus' earthly ministry. But then he devotes six chapters to that final week. And we see that this is only the second event in the Gospels that's recorded in all four Gospels. Can any of you think of the first event that was recorded in all four Gospels? I'll give you a second to think about that. If you said it was the feeding of the 5,000, you are correct. We see that this is a a significant point in Jesus's ministry. Up to this point in time in the book of Mark, Jesus has, uh, Jesus has basically been behind the scenes. And he's done a lot of things privately. Uh, he withdraws from public notice. He's passing through remote villages. He's spending time in the wilderness and explaining his parables to the disciples. But now at this event, we see that Jesus becomes the center of attention. It's important to note that this is Passover time where there would have been crowds and crowds of people coming there. And so this place is buzzing, and it would kind of be like the Spurs at the Dome. I got, the, got an opportunity to go to that game and with about 68,000 other people. And so there's people everywhere. There's just a kind of a party atmosphere going on. And so that's important for us to, to realize that what's going on. Jesus has just healed a lot of people. He healed a blind man. He transformed the life of a tax collector. He raised Lazarus from the dead. And I think there's a question in in people's mind. Could Jesus be the Messiah, Uh, the coming deliverer that God has promised the Jewish people for for years? 
And so there was this expectation that, that ran high in people's uh, minds that, that God was going to raise up this Messiah. And, uh, and right now they're under Roman rule. And so they so desperately wanted someone to deliver them from the Romans. Hey, as I mentioned before, this was Passover time, and it was when the Jewish people celebrated God's miraculous deliverance from, of Israel from the Egyptians uh, under the leadership of Moses. And so the crowds, they were hoping, they're, they're looking for someone to be like Moses. And, and I think they're wondering, could, could Jesus be that person? I mean, who, who is Jesus? Is he just this prophet? But man, this prophet, he's doing some amazing miracles. His teaching is, is amazing. And, and we see this crowd that's continued to grow around him. And so in Mark chapter 11, it says, As they approached Jerusalem uh, and came from Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples saying, Go to the village ahead of you, and, and just as you enter it, you will find a coat tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks why you're doing this, say the Lord needs it, and we'll send it back shortly. They went and found a coat outside in the street and tied it at a doorway. And as they untied it, some people standing there asked, What are you doing untying this coat? They answered, just as Jesus had told them, and the people let them go. After a long journey from Galilee, Jesus approaches Jerusalem from Bethany, in between the two cities is the Mount of Olives that gives them an impressive view of the temple. And in the next few days, there's going to be many memories created around this area. Jesus weeps uh, over Jerusalem, and he gives a discourse. He prays at Gethsemane. Now, on the eastern side of the Mount of Olives, there's a small village called Bethpage. And Jesus sends two of his unnamed disciples, most likely, it's probably Peter and John, uh, to fetch this donkey. Matthew actually says that there's two animals. Mark says there's one, and, and I think those go hand in hand. Mark says that this donkey or, uh, has been unridden. And so Matthew says there was two. Well, if you're going to go on this trip with, crowds of, uh, with a big crowd of people that are shouting, uh, and you have this coat that has never been ridden, uh, chances are you want to have its mom with it. And so I think chances are there was these, uh, you had these two animals here. And basically the disciples uh, go there to carjack this donkey. Uh, that would have been their transportation back there, back then. And, and Jesus says, hey, if, if anyone asks, just tell them the, the Lord needs it. Now, the Lord, it, it, that, that term can have several different meanings. It can refer to God or a master or even the owner of something. Uh, but, the, but we see in Luke that he's careful to point out that the actual owners uh, were the ones who asked, or asked the disciples about untying this coat. And so I think the Lord here is, is a term that's used for Messiah. It refers to Psalm 110. Psalm 110 11 says, The Lord says to my Lord, Stand at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. And so Jesus has spent about six months in this area. I think he has friends. Uh, he may have known the owners. He may have set this up beforehand. And so if someone asks, Who's taking this? Say, The Lord, the Messiah, uh, needs it. And we see here, that as Jesus uh, does this, that this is going to fulfill prophecy. 
Verse 7 says, when they brought the coat to Jesus and they threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Now Mark doesn't tell us how this fulfills prophecy, but Matthew does. If you look at Zechariah 9.9, it says, Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey. Riding on a donkey's colt. And placing Jesus on a donkey for his entry into the city, the people were, was, were proclaiming him as king. Now, not everyone who rode a donkey was king, but when you have uh, people with this big parade, basically, uh, it's, uh, a, it, it was a sign of kingship. And for example, in the Old Testament, when Solomon becomes king, and we find a similar scene, if you look in 1 Kings verse, verse 1, verses 38 to 40, uh, we see that they put Solomon on, on King David's mule and escorted him. And, and we see that there was a, a sound of a trumpet and people shouted, Long live the king. We see this is the only time in Scripture. Uh, here's a little trivia for you. The only time in Scripture that we see that Jesus is riding in an animal. And he did take a boat a few places, but most of the time in Scripture we see that he walked. But this is one of the only, time, the only time in Scripture that we see that he rode an animal. I want you to notice that he rode a donkey rather than a horse. The horse was a military animal, and when a king rode into the city on a horse, it was similar to a military victory. The donkey was used for civil ceremonies and peaceful occasions. And so by choosing a donkey rather than a horse, Jesus showed them that he's coming to bring peace. Uh, this should have been a sign to the crowds and the disciples that he, he was not entering Jerusalem to overthrow the Roman government at this time, but they simply didn't get it. Jesus had been preaching a cross-shaped kingdom, calling his disciples to take up their cross and to join him on their, on their way to Jerusalem, that he won't be leading a military victory, that he will actually be handed over, tortured, and killed. Um, but the crowd and the disciples simply didn't get it. We, as we continue to read in verse 8, it says, Many people spread their cloaks on the road, and while others spread branches they had cut in the fields, those who went ahead of those in, and who followed shouted, Hosanna! Uh, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. And then Jesus entered Jerusalem with this big parade here and went into the temple courts, and he looked around at everything, but it was late. And he went out to Bethany with the twelve. And so here is Jesus. He's headed to, to Jerusalem. And, and people are proclaiming him as Messiah and proclaiming him as king. And th this is the second time that they want to make him king uh, that we find in Scripture. After the feeding of the 5,000, the people were prepared to make him king by force, John 6, 15. But this was, that was back in Galilee. This is on the doorstep of the temple. And these palm branches that were used is significant. These were used for celebrations. They were used as symbols of military victory, which shows that people thought that Jesus was coming to deliver them from Rome. And they spread cloaks underneath the feet uh, of a king as a sign of submission. And so when they were putting their clothing there underneath the feet of the donkey, it's showing that they were proclaiming Jesus as king and Messiah, that they were willing to submit to him. And the crowds began to shout, which would have echoed across the valley. Hosanna, which means Lord saves, which is again a reference to Psalm 118, verses 24 to 26. 
And he used these words that would have been used with the Messiah, such as David and kingdom and peace and glory in the highest. And the Sanhedrin would not have been happy seeing and hearing this. Jesus was basically turning the power structure upside down. And the, by, the time, or by the time that Jesus would have gotten to the city of Gates, everyone would have been buzzing. And this would have gotten the attention of the Roman garrison there that was stationed there as, as a peacekeeping force. And they're seeing someone being anointed as king. And, and I know they would have had to be on high alert. And so as he gets there to the, to the city, people would have been asking, who is this person? What's going on here? It, it, it's interesting, though. We come to the end of the story, though. We have this big parade, everyone singing, and you have the palm branches, and you have all of these things. And then suddenly, the crowd just disappears. You kind of have this awkward end to this story. And Jesus goes into the temple. He's focused on going to the temple, and evidently the crowd wasn't interested in this. As we look at this story, we see many fans of Jesus. Uh, they, they liked his miracles, and they, they liked the thought of him delivering him from or them from oppression. And they liked him being a political hero. Yet when he goes into the temple, they disappear. We know eventually that some of these people in the crowd... Most likely some of these people in the crowd, they turn on him and they end up yelling, crucify him in about a week. We too can be fans of Jesus. We can sing songs and we can say words that we think that Jesus would like us to hear. And we can cheer for Jesus and we can show up on Sunday and we can watch a service. And, and it's really easy to be a Christian on Sundays or when you're around other Christians. But who are we during the week? And sometimes I think we, we're looking for that superhero Jesus in our life. Well, we want that Jesus that will rescue us from that pain and suffering that we're going through. And we say, Jesus, this is how I want you to be in my life. Or sometimes we want the political party Jesus. Jesus, I want you to believe politically what I believe. And so this is why I'm right. And we kind of use Jesus as, as that trump card. Or sometimes we do that with our social issues. Well, we have like this kind of that hot button issue that we use Jesus for. And we say, well, Jesus would believe this way and I believe this way. And this is how we try to win arguments. But beyond all of those things, the question I have for you is, is he your Lord and Savior? Jesus doesn't need more fans. He doesn't need a bunch of people always cheering for him. He needs followers. People who are fully devoted to following him who are sold out, who love them with his whole heart, soul, and mind, who are focused on the kingdom of God, not on the things of this earth, who's focused on bringing heaven to earth. We want to bring Jesus to every aspect of this earth, to our neighborhoods, to our schools, to our businesses. We want to show and demonstrate Jesus to everyone. So my question for you is, who's Jesus? And then, and then beyond that, I'd ask you, are you a fan or are you fully devoted to following him? 